When I was quite young, five, six years old, I felt magical. Everything was alive, and the world was my teacher. I could walk as quietly as an Indian. I delighted in the sunshine. I sang songs from the sound of music to no one. I would fly down hills on my bike. And I delighted in the time life books that we had in the house, the ones of the solar system and of the ocean. Kind neighbors even gave me treats. I mean, what could be better? The world for me was an absolute wonder. And I was paying attention. My biggest problem was having three older sisters. <laughs> and they liked to tease me to distraction. But I was the youngest, and they went to school. So I had my own time. And I was able to stay in my own magical world until I went to school, too. And these magical feelings became, began to be replaced by certain knowledge. As I went to school, I could feel all the words and ideas I was learning. They were taking me away from that feeling of direct experience. The more I learned about the world, the less I had to pay attention. And I could feel the vibrancy of the world kind of blinking off. I mean, words and ideas were powerful. They had the ability to capture felt experiences, but mostly as fixed mental concepts, not as it really was in the world. It became just a representation, a stand-in. A day, which for me was a universe to become explorer, just became a, a, a day, a word, a concept, a shortcut for something much bigger. And maybe a glorious day would be glorious, but only if you really worked hard at explaining with lots of words why and how, and you put the words together in just the right way. And maybe, maybe you'd get something like that feeling, but it wouldn't be the same feeling. You know it's hard to do to put things into words. Ask any writer, but it is possible. I do want to acknowledge that words can be a gateway as well. Some writers are so gifted that readers will carry a writer's words inside them and try to live in that world. But I wasn't there yet, I was still a kid. And sometimes I felt trapped by words, in the sense that when somebody asked the childhood me a question, whatever I say would affect how they would see me. And they would categorize me. And I wasn't ready to be categorized. I was still exploring. I wanted to connect with whatever I liked, without judgment. And I think that's why some young people really don't like talking to adults that much. Kids want to explore what interests them without judgment. However, I don't think the fault is in our words. I think it's in ourselves. <laughs> in short, I was born full of wonder, but I was taught to be in my head more and more as I matured. And at a certain point in my life, I guess you might call it a spiritual awakening, I did, switched and decided to spend most of my free time to try to regain that sense of wonder find that jewel of my own individuality and figure out how to be brave enough to try to share that with other people. You see, when I was growing up, the culture and educational system tend to kind of push materialism and kind of a unemotional rationality. 
I think the culture is changing because I keep reading about millennials and how they are more concerned with, uh, with uh, maintaining a balance between work and personal fulfillment and the greater good and less concerned about also working hard for lots of stuff. I say yay. I also see a change in religion. Even traditional churches are becoming less traditional. I mean, even Pope Francis wrote an encyclical on the environment and human ecology in which he appeals to all people to take care of each other in our earthly home. At the end of the encyclical, there is a prayer to the earth in which he asks our creator to touch the hearts of those who look only for gain at the expense of the poor and the earth. Teach us to discover the worth of each thing, to be filled with awe and contemplation, to recognize that we are profoundly united with every creature. So speaking of changing religious views, back in February of this year, I went to a conference in Winter Park, Florida, which happens to be where I grew up. The conference was called Gladdening Light. And the theme of this year's conference was the science of love. But the guest speakers were really interesting. Matthew Fox, a deeply ecumenical religious renegade and mystic who was thrown out of the Catholic Church for being too liberal and who has written over 35 books, including Original Blessing, a complete reversal of original sin. And also Ilya DeLeo, who holds an MS in biology and a PhD in pharmacology, but became a Franciscan sister and is the author of many books on the integration of science and religion, including The Unbearable Wholeness of Being, God, Evolution, and the Power of Love. The fact that a conference like this took place in my hometown, which was pretty buttoned up little town, <laughs> well, I think it's pretty darn cool. And to me, it's another indication that change is possible. I want to share some of what was discussed in that conference. Both of these speakers had a lot to say, much more than I can cover today. But if I, if I had to kind of sum it up in drastic shorthand, there were two main points. One is that humankind persists in looking at the world and ourselves in very limited ways and that we need to expand our consciousness and adopt both mystical and, spiritual, and mystical and scientific approach to spirituality. They're not exclusive. Humankind is lurched from one worldview to another, from seeing the earth as flat and the center of everything with one supreme being ruling everything, and then moving to a, sunset, a, a, a mechanical universe that was the sun where, where the sun was the center and human reasoning was proof of our superiority and our independence. But now we live in a world that is fundamentally different, a world of quantum physics, relativity, uncertainty, entanglement. Our thinking and our habits are largely stuck in these older paradigms of divine providence or mechanical and materialistic culture. We are not yet comfortable with relativity, uncertainty, entanglement. And I mean, I would want to be entangled if I was relatively uncertain. <laughs> I mean, would you? 
But seriously, for a minute, take a look at the upside. In reality, everything that we consider material is made of energy and is constantly in flux. Our human bodies and our minds are fluid. They are dynamic processes. The human body is actually a community of, of cells, over five trillion of them. And every seven to 10 years, we replace every one of them. So what is the body? Our minds too are in a constant state of flux. And even just a little bit of meditation or mindfulness will teach anyone that we have a veritable parade of thoughts running through our minds, emotions arising moment to moment. It doesn't stop. What this means really with all this flux is that even though so often we think we're stuck, we're not stuck. We are constantly in flux. We have the ability to remake ourselves all the time. Our bodies are constantly adjusting our breath, blood pressure, thoughts, our hormones, all the time just to live. But most of the time, we're trying to hold on into one place. We're not trying to actually see what's happening around us and experience it as it really is. We're not trying to get to a better place very often. We're just trying to hold in one place. This is why practices like meditation, yoga, and mindfulness, or even just spending time in nature, or studying great writers, or just thinking about your life and doing self-inquiry, all of these kinds of practices, have you noticed how common they're, they're becoming? They're like everywhere. And why is that? Because of the modern world we live in is just, it just makes us crazy. We're so busy and distracted we have to make time to slow down, to pay attention, to do the things that really matter, to rediscover wonder. The other main point of the conference that I went to, the gladdening light, is that the history of the cosmos and the evolution of our planet is so amazing, so awesome. We don't need biblical stories to tell us that our world is a special place and how privileged we are. All we have to do is study what is there in science, what it teaches us. It is incredible. The spirituality we need is to appreciate how interconnected with life on earth we all are. We are bound to the earth in the deepest of ways and science supports this view. We are connected to the stars from which all organic elements came. They didn't come from the earth. They came from exploding stars. Without the exploding stars, the earth wouldn't have the basic raw materials of life. We are deeply connected to every living creature on our planet because of our DNA and evolution. Our entire world was made livable and sustained by the biosphere, and our lives arose from and depend on the well-being of this planet. The interconnected web of life is so detailed and so complete as to form our very ground of being. I mean, this is where science and religion meet. This isn't just philosophy, this is like natural law. And there are so many examples of this deep connection. I've already just talked about a few, 
But I want to give one very specific example that I find kind of mind-blowing. You might find it kind of silly. <laughs> it's the microbiome. You might have heard of it, the name of a colony of bacteria that live in our gastrointestinal tract. Perhaps you've heard of it. And how important this little miniature ecosystem is to our health and our well-being. I mean, we couldn't even digest our food without it. It's not us. We're the host. But if without that bacteria, we couldn't digest our food. We would not live without these bacteria in our own bodies. And it's adaptive. Our outer environment changes. We eat a little bit of our outer environment. The microbiome adapts faster than we could adapt. They evolve faster than we can evolve. About the only thing our gut can't seem to handle is a constant diet of ultra-processed food. Go figure. <laughs> but where it gets really interesting is that the microbiome, all these bacteria, they work in concert with our nervous system in ways we don't even understand. As you may know, the human gut has as many nerve endings as our brain. You know, we put so much emphasis on our brain. But we also go with gut feelings, right? Well, recent studies have shown that our brains have all these neural receptors for the chemicals that are being produced by the bacteria that are digesting our food. And we don't know what they are even for. At least not yet. But I have a gut feeling they're important. <laughs> and I know that maybe bacteria may not inspire you to love and to wonder. I know that just, you know, maybe it's not the same as a puppy or something, but... But just think for a moment, think about all creatures, great and small, about all beings near and far, you know, our families, our tribe, our, our hometown, even our political parties, you. Uh, I mean, all of these things are so important to us, but we can't even survive without the smallest of life forms. You know, bacteria also not only work wonders for us. I mean, everything that dies would not be processed and turned into food for other living things without bacteria. Everything would just stand there when it dies and stay there forever. You know, the world would soon be unlivable. In addition, the other tiny things like phytoplankton, they produce 50% of our world's oxygen. You know, we think about trees and they're very important. But phytoplankton, little teeny things, the basis of the food chain in the ocean produces all this oxygen. So science, mysticism. I mean, the world is an absolute wonder. We have to pay attention. All the amazing stories of the origin of the earth and its species should be incorporated into our spirituality. And the fact that our singular and probably beautiful and fertile planet maybe heading into an environmental catastrophe should propel us into a, an appreciation of this planet, an awakening, an awakening to share these stories about our Earth, to hold the Earth as sacred, to build communities to effect change, to love. During the Gladdening Light Conference, Matthew Fox talked about a different kind of environmental movement one that he shared during the talk, and he calls the order of the sacred earth. The order of the sacred earth is described as such. Anyway, it says, 
At this critical time in human and planetary history, the world does not need a new religion or even a reshuffling of our old religions. It does not need a new church either. What it needs is a new world order. Not a world order, sorry. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I wonder, anyway. We don't. What we need is a new order, as in a religious order, or a spiritual order, or a mystical order, a community and a movement of people of varied belief systems or non-belief systems who share one sacred vow to preserve Mother Earth and become the best lovers or mystics and defenders or warriors on behalf of the Mother Earth, a post-denominational order, a post-religious order, and therefore a spiritual order. The essence of the order is this common vow that we will make. I promise to be the best lover and defender of Mother Earth that I can be. And to me, as from the whole experience of this conference, it's been, I've been carrying it with me ever since. I've been thinking about evolution and love. And with this order of the sacred earth, it, it feels like a call to go deeper, to pay attention, to be filled with wonder and love. And then, and only then, to speak out, to act, to care for the earth. May it be so.